I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, everybody. Hey, hey, hey. Or Aingai. Aingai. Which means hi and bye in Inuktitut, which is the language of the Inuit. Cool. And Nakormik for listening, which means thank you. <laughs> Nakormik for listening. <laughs> really stumbled across some awesome uh, like tourism videos for Nunavut. Uh, which are like, here's some simple phrases. Do you want to go um, now? Is it on our travel list? I, oh, I've always wanted to go to the Arctic. Okay. I'm very excited to go to the mm-hmm. Arctic one day. Yeah. Alaska, Northern Canada, North Pole, I'll go. Would you go to Antarctica? Yeah, I would totally go to Antarctica. Me too. My mom, yeah. I don't like the cold, obviously, right. but it's different. Yeah. It's freaking Antarctica. Yeah, no, you uh, you have to go. I like the cold. I mean, I don't think anybody likes that the cold. That cold. But I don't think anybody's like, ooh, I feel so cozy <laughs> in this <laughs> structure that's barely keeping the my blood from freezing. My mom once was like, Listen, I want to go to Antarctica, but yeah. your dad refuses to go. Will you go with me? And yes. I was like, yes, I will go. And so she was talking to me about it. She's like, listen, there's a hot springs. <laughs> <laughs> there's a hot springs that you can swim in. And I was like, okay. So the water's warm. 
But what about getting out yeah. and getting in? Like the, I, there's a whole part of yeah. the hot springs that I'm not interested in, and it's the getting out. And getting in. <laughs> I would just, I'd be like, I live in this water now, I guess, because <laughs> I'm so. never getting out. Well, um, we're so excited to bring you to the Arctic, not the Antarctic today. Mm-hmm. We're going to go north, 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 as far north as people have been. I mean, yeah. pretty much, more or less. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to tell the story of Tukalitu and Ipirvik, who were two Inuit villagers who got to travel to England and America and work as guides for British and American explorers who were trying to uncover the mysteries of the Arctic. Mm-hmm. These two had a totally unbeatable spirit. They had amazing survival skills. And that was pretty much enough to keep even the most inept sailors alive through circumstances that seem basically totally unsurvivable. Mm-hmm. So I say we jump into this story. It's so exciting. Uh, I really want to hear all about these two snowbirds and their <laughs> incredible adventures. So everybody bundle up. We're, we're stepping out into the snow. Brr, let's go. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So, okay, we're talking about the Inuit today. Mm-hmm. We're talking about uh, way northern Canada. Um, and the language up there is Inuktitut. Mm-hmm. And we are going to swing for the fences with this and do our best. <laughs> right. There are some great pronunciation guides out there. There's some cool videos mm-hmm. that teach us a little bit. Um, and then we're winging it on some of them based on uh, those pronunciation guides kind of being like, I guess this vowel is pronounced like this. Mm-hmm. So we're doing our best. But... Um, but it's really fun. Like, it's actually kind of a cool language to listen to. Yeah, it's And, cool. uh, yeah, I, I, I'm excited by it. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you are Inuit, let us know. Absolutely. <laughs> if we mispronounce something. <laughs> we would love to correct that later on. But Tukalitu was born around 1838 on Baffin Island, which is, like, way northeast Canada, mm-hmm. right across the Davis Strait from Greenland. Now, in Baffin Island currently, they have an average temperature of 18 degrees Fahrenheit. But in July, it can get all the way up to 48. So, you know, don't don't pack your Speedos away just yet. <laughs> you will break a sweat. <laughs> uh, just real quick for our metric using friends. <laughs> right. We got a lot of them. That joke is an average temperature of minus 8 degrees Celsius, which in July can get all the way up to positive 8. <gasps> Plus 8? Yeah. Look, I don't know. I guess <laughs> metric, sure. I guess water freezes at zero and boils at 100. But I don't know why it's so hard. To just remember that water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit mm-hmm. and boils at 212 degrees. That's very simple, <laughs> That's right? So random. <laughs> <laughs> so the man who would eventually become Tukalitu's husband was born about two years earlier on the other side of Baffin Island near Cumberland Sound. His name was Ipirvik. A lot of English whalers came through this area and they had a relatively positive relationship with the Inuit there. And probably should have said this earlier, but side note, the name for the indigenous people of northern Canada in this region Mm -hmm. is Inuit, which is the plural form of Inuk. So you are an Inuk or part of the Inuit. Yes, as I understand it. Yeah. And Inuit means people. So saying Inuit people is redundant. So it's just ATM machine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And Inuit, as I've come to understand it, is not a blanket term for all of the native people of northern Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, First Nations, 
Métis, and Inuit are sort of the three different groups. Oh, um, I thought First Nations was the blanket term. So no, that's very apparently First Peoples oh. is a blanket term for all three of those groups. But the First Nations are a different group of people than okay. the Inuit or than the Métis. Oh, um, that's very interesting. Yes. Uh, and it's more complicated than that. And I won't be the one to explain it to you. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> so I'm up. just reading about it <laughs> this week. Um, so anyway, Epirvik was familiar with English whalers at a young age because they were always coming through Cumberland Sound where he grew up. And at some point, surely he said to one of these sailors, Aingai Uvanga Ipirvik Ativa, which means, hello, my name is Ipirvik in my terrible Inuktitut <laughs> language. Um, but and the English then responded, well, I have no idea what you just said, so we'll just call you Joe. <laughs> Joe, that's not even close. I know. They gave him the nickname Joe, and that pretty much stuck with him for the rest of his life. In 1852, when she was about 14 years old, Tukulitu started learning English from a British whaler named William Barron. It's likely that Apirvik was already familiar with English since he had, you know, grown up around these English whalers. Um, and at some point, Tukulitu and Apirvik were married. With living conditions being so difficult, marriage was more of a necessity than a choice in Inuit culture. Marriages were often arranged at a young age, sometimes at birth. And young women were eligible for marriage as soon as they hit puberty, while men usually were closer to 17 or 18 years old, and they had to prove themselves to be an effective hunter before they could marry. It's very interesting to me that you're sort of like, okay, you can now have babies, so that's all that's required. Mm -hmm. You need to be able to provide for the babies, so prove yourself. Yeah. Um, sort of similar to the Powhatan tribe as well. Well, it was such, episode. you know, that what I read about Inuit culture back then especially was it was it's very much about the community. Everything you do is so your individual community can thrive. Right. The idea of marriage, reproduction, these were all about like how can we survive up here because that's constantly what they were thinking about because know, they're in yeah. terribly difficult situations to survive in yeah. all the time. And there's not a traditional fancy ceremony, marriage ceremony or anything like that. Often a couple would be considered married after the birth of their first child. Mm. And marriage was all about uniting the community. As you just said, husbands and wives both could ask for a divorce, but it was frowned upon because it wasn't good for the community at large. All right. Tukulitu's sister, Inu Luapik, had traveled to Scotland in 1839 with a whaling master named William Penny. This would have been just after Tukulitu was born. Mm. So Tukulitu grew up hearing about that, and she always wanted to take a similar voyage. Lucky for her, in 1853, an Englishman named John Bulby showed up. Now, he had been a wine merchant, but now he was experimenting with the fishing industry. This was Everyone was getting into the Arctic and whaling and fishing and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to capitalize on that. And his plan was to build a whaling station just off Baffin Island. So he goes there, meets the Inuit people, and Tukulitu and Apirvik were well-known as good translators. And they were well-known as tough, adventurous types as well. So John Bowlby met them and was like, uh, hey, uh, hello, uh, maybe you should come back to England with me. And this was the opportunity of a lifetime for them. So they packed up and set sail for England. And in England, they stayed in Hull on the East Coast, north of London, with the family of the ship's doctor, William Gedney. Now, it was common at the time for Native people, Inuit, Native Americans, Indians, Africans, basically any non-Western European people, 
To be quote-unquote exhibited in world's fairs or expos as curiosities. Hmm. Um, or explorers might bring a few natives around as like a fundraising ploy when they were trying to raise money for a voyage. Right, right. Step right up, folks, and see who I found. <laughs> <laughs> see who I found. And white people would come pay to see these folks in their native clothing, speaking their own language, or giving some, like, cultural demonstrations. Uh-huh. Which is funny, because they're like, I would pay to see this, but not leave you well enough alone to do yeah. it on <laughs> <in> everyday life. <laughs> oh, that's... Where I could see it for free, maybe, if you were my fucking neighbor, but that's okay. That's fascinating. Your culture is so interesting to me. Now I'm going to destroy it <laughs> and assimilate you into mine. Yes. So, of course, you know, it wasn't always perf- these exhibitions or whatever were not always performed willingly by these indigenous people or Africans mm-hmm. or whomever they were trying to put on on display. But fortunately, in this instance, Tukulitu and Apirvik were willing and paid participants in these demonstrations. So yay for them. <laughs> they even saw Queen Victoria and Prince Albert in London. Um, Arctic stuff was particularly exciting in England at the time because everyone was swept up in Franklin fever. Oh, Franklin fever. Now, the Franklin expedition was the third and final expedition of a British polar explorer named Sir John Franklin. He wanted to sail through the Northwest Passage, so cutting west from England and through all those messy clusters of islands in northern Canada all the way over to Asia. So this would have kept them from having to go all the way down south around Europe and the southern tip of Africa Mm -hmm. to get to Asia. So it was just a way shorter route. Everyone was trying to make it work. They had all these plans. They were like, we can do it. And Sir John Franklin decided he was going to be the guy to do it. So they left in 1845, but the expedition was a huge failure. Their ships were trapped in the ice, and eventually the entire crew died. England, who didn't know the fate of the crew, offered 20,000 pounds sterling to find and rescue survivors. Hmm. That is a little over checking here. Two million U.S. dollars today. Wow, that's quite a reward. Yeah. So obviously this became a big deal and everybody's talking about it through the 1840s and 50s. Over 20 expeditions would set out to either rescue the crew or find out what happened to them. So... All this talk about Arctic exploration of northern Canada, of course, made Tukulitu and Apirvik extremely popular. Yeah. Everyone was like, I can finally see the people who live there with my own two eyes. Right, right. And should be said that I don't know what they were paid. Right. Uh, It may not have been great. I would definitely call this exploitation, no matter what you're doing, because they toured these guys around and said, give me your money mm-hmm. to see them and I'll go find more, you know, but um, but they did seem to love it. Okay. They did seem to have a really positive attitude about their experience in England um, and they, they seem to just really enjoy it. I mean, these these one thing we'll see with Tukulitu and Apirvik is their spirits are unbreakable and they yeah. are eternal optimists and, you know, coming from the Arctic. Right. I think that's understandable, maybe. Like, it, it's probably really hard to get them down. Yeah. Because look at where they live 24 7. <laughs> True. They're like, I have to be happy yeah. every day and see the best in everything, or else I'd be like, why do I live on a frozen rock? It's probably nighttime for like five months out of the year, Ugh, I imagine. True. So, like, very true. Or at least very long, long, long nights. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you've, you've got to, if you sink, 
you're not you're not coming back up. You so think they like probably, a stone. Yeah, so they probably are very good at staying upbeat. It's true. And just appreciating things. Yeah. Well, and you're not you're you're what you said about them being exploited mm-hmm. is just kind of calling up for me all the sideshows and also racial representation that we've talked about in the last few episodes. Yeah. Because it might be like that they're like, well, we're not getting paid much or whatever. But it's really helpful for people to see that the people do live in these yeah. frozen wildlands and like, yeah. you know, we're normal human right. <laughs> individuals. Right. So even if they're not getting paid much, you know, maybe they felt like it was a good thing, for, yeah. you know, for yeah, people to so. see them. and Maybe so. I don't know. Okay. So John Bowlby knows he's got a hot ticket and his two Inuit friends, and he takes them around Hull and London doing these showcases for everyone to see and meet a real Inuk person. And Ipirvik was described as, quote, an intelligent, quiet man, self-willed, who may be led but not driven. And they said he was, quote, a close observer of all that passes. So he sounds like a strong-willed, but like strong with silent type, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That works. Kind of reserved, but like right. he sees all, he knows all yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of energy. Right. And Tukulitu was described as, quote, active, sprightly, and full of fun, and that, quote, her laugh is a joyous laugh. Love it. So I love this couple already. Uh-huh. He's just like chilling like, okay, that guy's definitely sleeping with that guy's wife. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> oh, his, his first thing when he gets to England is to like... <laughs> do, the, do the bravo analysis. Yeah, he's the bravo. And he's like, Tukulitu. And she's like, oh, for real? Look at that hat. <laughs> and they seem to really enjoy their time in England, especially Tukulitu, who adapted well to English culture and style. Uh, we found a crowdfund site for a film from a few years ago by Renelta Arluck, who's an Inuit actress and director. And she said that Tukulitu liked the style she learned about in England. So she would wear a bonnet and a bustle and carried a parasol and all that kind of like English style stuff. Mm-hmm. But she would take the patterns home back to Baffin Island and make the same style clothes out of seal skin. So she was like adopting the other cultures that she learned and appreciated, but she would take it in without losing her own culture. Mm. And Renalta said, quote, in 2015 as an Inuit woman, that's still very hard to do. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. After spending two years in England, they had become fluent in the English language, and then they even converted to Christianity. Hmm. Many Inuit who came to Europe, either voluntarily or forcibly, ended up getting sick, of course. Many died even just from being exposed to these foreign diseases. You can imagine they don't have as many viruses hanging out in the below freezing temperatures in the ice, right? Yeah. So they come out to the to warmer climates and yeah, classic. I mean, that even happened for I the, was gonna say the, the Powhatans. The colonists came, they had to be seasoned, quote unquote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Ipirvik and Tukalitu were lucky. They were totally fine. They thrived. And after two years they decided they were gonna go back home to their old lives. Ipirvik got back and worked as a hunter, occasionally picking up work as a translator or a guide for the whalers that came through Cumberland Sound. And soon, a whaling ship would come by with a man aboard who was going to change their lives forever. And we will meet that guy right after this commercial break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This 
is uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year Las Culturistas with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with... Dua Lipa! The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening. And welcome back to the show. It appeared or, that... Oh. Welcome back to the snow, I should say. <gasps> uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> get because we're in the Arctic. Apirvik and Tukulitu's lives changed forever when they met an American sailor named Charles Francis Hall in 1860. Mm. And this guy was a lot of things. (laughs) He was born around 1821, somewhere in Vermont or New Hampshire, and he started out young as a blacksmith's apprentice. Then, sometime in the 1840s, he married, had two children, and eventually moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, where he started a business as an engraver. 
Then in 1849, he published his own newspaper called the Cincinnati Occasional. And after publishing a few stories about the Franklin Expedition, which was, of course, the hot news of the time, so you had to run some stories about that, uh-huh. whether you liked it or not. But he got obsessed with the story, and suddenly he was a total Franklaholic. <laughs> he could not get enough of this. He couldn't get enough of stories about polar exploration. And he started dedicating his time to learning everything he could about the Arctic. I love that his he started a newspaper and he called it the Cincinnati Occasional, which is like kind of setting yourself up to be like, you'll get an issue when I get around to it. When I'm ready. (laughs) This ain't the Cincinnati Daily. This ain't the Cincinnati Weekly. It's the Cincinnati Occasional. Occasional. Listen, guys, I'm doing this for fun. Yeah. It's a hobby. You get it when you get it. Homemade zine I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just really, just set the bar. That's so funny because I, I was that. thinking the exact same thing. I was like, <laughs> we should have called our show occasional. <laughs> Would really take the pressure off. <laughs> By 1857, he had this stack of research all about the Arctic, about any expeditions that went out there, and every piece of info he could find about the Franklin expedition specifically. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to go find the survivors of the Franklin Expedition. Make make way, folks. <laughs> and I want to make $2 million. Right, yeah. <laughs> now, bear in mind, Franklin's ships had disappeared over a decade ago at this point. But mm. this wasn't like a crazy endeavor because things moved way more slowly back then. It was so normal to not hear anything from these exploring ships for a very long time that Franklin's mission was gone without any contact with England for three years before anyone even started to worry. Oh, wow. Yeah, that that was like, you know, so long, goodbye. We'll hear from you in a decade or so. Who knows? You know, I mean, like, I get, there's not like there's a postal service right. or somebody to take carry a letter back. Right, to exactly, for you. exactly. So and they knew that once you get into that region, everything slows down. Yeah. Because sometimes you just have to weigh anchor for months Mm -hmm. and And just wait wait for the weather to change. Mm -hmm. And with all that, it also wasn't totally impossible that the crew was stranded and surviving somewhere, either with the Inuit or maybe just on their own, like like some kind of Gilligan's Island on ice, um, which would have been a much more boring show. I mean, Gilligan's Island on ice. It would be kind of funny, though, to see this tropical paradise set, but they're all on skates. I don't know. That might be good. (laughs) Well, yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. I don't know about Gilligan's Island uh, with an Arctic setting. Yeah, no, I don't think that would be as pleasant of a show. Hey, little buddy. Professor... Uh, we're we're, we're going to have to eat, eat the professor. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so. Do you think anyone thought of that? And then they were like, no, we need the girls in bikinis as often. Oh, yeah, possible. sure. Yeah. Yeah. We'd be like, Are, do you like Marianne or Ginger more? Like, is there, is there a difference? I just see a parka. Just, see a parka. <laughs> just walking parkas. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so, okay. So Hall has got no experience sailing. He's got... No experience exploring. He's got no ship, no crew, but he is 100% committed to finding these guys. So, please, what is. Please give me the confidence. <laughs> I know, <laughs> Charles right? Charles Francis Hall. Exactly. And what does someone with no money or experience do to break into the hottest industry of the day? He starts crowdfunding. Oh, yay! Set himself up a Kickstarter. <laughs> He's like. Hey everyone, the, the, here's your, here's your second update. Uh, thanks to everyone who pitched in so far. I'm gonna throw in 
an enamel pin for as a new perk for anyone who decides to give over $100. Uh, and if you give uh, over 500 I will send back a signed block of ice. Oh, a signed for block of ice. After. <laughs> In a in a plastic bag. Right. <laughs> Guys, I'm adding the stretch goal. <laughs> I'll send you your own piece of whale blubber. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I gotta get that perk. <laughs> it might take a few months to get to you and right. you won't want to eat it when it gets there. <laughs> if you haven't heard, if you haven't received your block of ice or whale blubber <laughs> in three years, <laughs> then reach out. So after about two years, Hall had crowdsourced a little stack of cash. His primary benefactor being Henry Grinnell, a merchant and philanthropist. And he sold his newspaper, and that was enough for him to get a spot on a whaling ship that was heading out to Cumberland Sound, right near Baffin Island. The ship was called the George Henry, and it was captained by Sidney Buddington. Of course, Charles Hall was a complete amateur. He had very little support on this voyage. But his belief was, you know, if I can live among the Inuit, then anyone could have survived with them. <laughs> if I he's like, I'm an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I have no experience. <laughs> My paper comes out occasionally. <laughs> so if I can survive with the Inuit, anyone can. And he's like So his idea was basically like, let me go put myself amongst the Inuit. And if I end up not dying, yeah. then I know that I've got a shot at finding the Franklin Expedition exactly. alive and well. So in 1860, the George Henry arrived at Baffin Island. Hall hopped off the ship and walked into a coastal Inuit village, which just happened to be the home of Ipirvik and Tukulitu. Now in their early 20s, they walked out to meet Charles Hall. And he's like, greetings, I am American. I come in peace. Can you teach me the ways of your people? And they stare at him for a second, and then they're like, uh, yeah, man, sure. Like, <laughs> come on through. I'll show you where we hang our coats. Like, you want a beer or something? <laughs> He's like, like oh, oh, shit. <laughs> Boy, is my face red from frostbite. <laughs> <laughs> no, prob- I was just about to say maybe he was embarrassed, but <laughs> I'm not getting the impression that this guy gets oh, embarrassed. <laughs> no, I don't think Charles Hall knows like, how to get embarrassed. Oh, great. <laughs> I will take a beer. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, Hall hit the jackpot landing here with Tukalitu and Ipirvik because... They're totally versed in British culture and, and you know, a, a good bit of American culture as well. They speak fluent English and they've had experience sailing with white explorers. So the two of them hit it off with Hall right away. Also, remember, they're like the friendliest, nicest people right. in the world at this time, I think. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like, yes, welcome, please. I I love you. They're like immediately just <laughs> hugs and <laughs> they're just like, so nice. Jokes. Right. They all go back to their home to get to know each other. And Hall says, you know, probably something like, hey, so how are you all doing? Uh, my name's Charles Hall. What are your names? And she says, I'm Tukalitu. And Hall is like, okay, okay, uh, you know what? How about Hannah? What if your name's Hannah? <laughs> Tukalitu? That's too hard to say. <laughs> and Pirvik says, well... A lot of people call me Joe, but my name is Apirvik. And Hall writes down, got it, Joe Ibirbing. Ibirbing? <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I, I said Apirvik. He said, yeah, 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 that's what I said, Ibirbing. Where the fuck did you get a B from, Charles? Like, <laughs> or a what? Bing. <laughs> or a Bing. What the fuck are you talking about? 
So, but that is true. To this day, most of the writings, you'll see them referred to as Hannah and Joe Ibirbing. Wow. And they even, I mean, they seemed to like this. I mean, they, they kind of adopted the names and they even signed their letters, Hannah and Joe, especially, I mean, their letters to other white people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, you know, I think at the time it was a cute thing for them. They were like, oh, that's cool. We got our own like American names. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Totally, like, yeah. Well, sort of like I took Japanese in high school and uh, we all got to choose our Japanese yeah, name. Same and, with French for me. Yeah. Yeah. My friend was like, "I you should be Sakura because it means little flower. And I thought it was so cute. It was oh, like were you Sakura? One of the best compliments I got in high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I, little flower, me? We were given a list of names in French class to pick. Oh. And I picked Serge. Oh. Uh, specifically... Because I thought it was funny that it sounded like Surge, which was a hot soda at the time. What's so funny about you saying that is that I immediately thought of Beverly Hills Cop 3 because Eddie Murphy has a French friend who he calls Serge instead of Serge. Oh, well, there you go. And Serge keeps correcting him, of course. And then he goes, Serge. Sounds like a detergent. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I lucked out because with my, you know, last name Banks, so I was early in line to pick names. We just mm-hmm. they was, she just went through the list and was like, we all had the same list of names. She went down, everyone mm-hmm. tell me what yours is. And I said, Serge, and I heard four other guys go, Oh man. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I wanted to be Serge. <laughs> all right. So Joe and Hannah of Beerbing took him in. They showed Hall their ways. And for two years he lived with the Inuit. And as an avid writer, he documented more about their culture and their lives than any visitor before him. His journals describe their traditions, their oral histories, their language, and details of how they managed to survive for so long in such a seemingly unsurvivable climate. And yeah, that would be fascinating. Oh, to, yeah. I mean, you were describing some of the igloo stuff and shit. I was like, this is... Uh, the igloos are so interesting to me because uh, just... I'll do a quick side note here. Igloos were not traditionally like their main houses. Mm -hmm. They usually used them as shelter when they were hunting, you know, when they were going to be gone from their village for a while. And you build ice blocks up in in an igloo shape, like you're thinking. Mm -hmm. And um, it keeps the wind out and it holds body heat in. And when you're in there at night sleeping, your body heat, you know, fills the igloo and it starts to kind of melt the ice a little bit. And then when you leave in the daytime to go hunt, that ice freezes again and it solidifies the igloo more and more so that the longer you spend in it, the more sturdy and hard the structure gets. Wow. So it's this, it's brilliant. I mean, the way they, so they come cool. up with these things. You have to drill air holes in your igloo. Sure. Cause otherwise sure. you'll fill it with carbon dioxide and, you, you know, will suffocate, suffocate yourself. Um, but they, they, they could build fires in these igloos. That's so cool. Yeah, See, I had no cook. idea. I, I know, literally it's thought it's just a ice house and it's freezing in there. Nope. Like, why would you live like that? <laughs> no, it's great. Although I did read that in their villages, they usually used whalebone and skins to sure. build their more permanent homes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll also say, <laughs> just because of Charles Hall's very interesting <laughs> interpretation of a pure fixed <laughs> name, I'm not sure that I'd... <laughs> Really find his language notes to be very, <laughs> very reliable. He's just like, but... yeah, it sounded like they said a burping. I think it's a anya or something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> but the longer Charles Francis Hall lived with the Inuit, the more he was convinced that the crew from Franklin's voyage could still be alive. 
Um, he dressed like the Inuit. He drank, he ate their food. He adopted their lifestyle quickly. And he, again, knew if he could do it, anyone could do it. Mm-hmm. And during the two years that he stayed, Ipirvik and Tukulitu helped him travel and map much of the Frobisher Bay area on the south side of Baffin Island. He found some evidence of British explorers around this area, but all from earlier expeditions in the 16th century, nothing from the Franklin expedition. I love I love that he shows up and he's like, oh, all I found was some 300 year old <laughs> shit. This is worthless. Who cares? Garbage. <laughs> Throw it back in the water. <laughs> so, yeah, he did. He needed to get to King William Island and that was not going to happen on this trip. Meanwhile, Tukulitu and Apirvik were getting a taste of the difference between American and British whalers. <laughs> right. Uh, Tukulitu once wrote to Charles Hall, quote, I feel very sorry to say that many of the whaling people are very bad, making the Inuits bad too. They swear very much and make our people swear. I wish they would not do so. Americans swear a great deal, more and worse than the English. I wish no one would swear. <laughs> Well, fuck, I'm so sorry, Tukulitu. <laughs> it's true. Uh, my ass is the one telling this story. <laughs> <laughs> Tukulitu would not. She would not she care would have, for this show. She was so friendly, mm-hmm. but she would have been like, damn, that girl, she's so nice, but she swears so much. She wouldn't have said damn. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, yeah. She would have said she, darn. Darn that girl. That girl is so nice, but she's, she's got a mouth <laughs> like a sailor. Then in 1862, Tukulitu and Ipirvik gave birth to their first child, a baby named Taralikitok, and that means butterfly. Hall wrote of him, quote, I never saw a more animated, sweet-tempered, bright-looking child likely to be remembered by all who ever saw him. Hall invited Tukulitu and Apirvik, along with their newborn son, to go back with him to the States to raise money for his next expedition. And they'd become good friends at this point. And because of Hall's infectious enthusiasm, the two of them were pretty much getting super invested in finding the Franklin expedition, too. And they got back to the States. And just like in England, they were brought to exhibitions. And this included Barnum's American Museum in New York City, run by P.T. Barnum. And they were advertised as the, quote, first and only inhabitants of these frozen regions ever brought to the United States. And of course, it was sensationalized and totally inaccurate what? and probably pretty racist. No um, way. In P.T. Barnum. Right. And in fact, Hall did stop bringing them to these big exhibitions because there wasn't money up front. Uh, it was a little too sensational. And he was worried about their health. It says in some sources. So he stopped doing those big extravagant expeditions and instead took them on this like lecture tour of the East Coast with him. That that's probably. Yeah, you could control a lot more about a lecture tour than you can. Yeah. And probably take more of the money for yourself. Absolutely. I think was a big part of it. Probably name your price. Right. But in terms of the Barnum exhibit, they had to be there three times a day for two hours each time every day of the week. Mm -hmm. So it was like a. Noon to two, four to six, and seven to nine kind of thing they had to do three times a day. People paid 25 cents to get in, which is only about eight bucks today. And then, of course, they switched over to this lecture tour. Yeah. And when they weren't on the road doing that, the Inuit family stayed with Captain Sidney Buddington in Groton, Connecticut. And they totally fell in love with this town. Tukalitu became especially good friends with Mrs. Buddington, and she referred to her as her pretty mother. Soon... Tukulitu was like a celebrity within the Buddington circle of friends. 
And they all said that she was, quote, full of frolicsome and comical ways. Except you... for the swearing. I think I could totally hang out with Tukuli, too. <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> I oh, have yeah. to really she work like a great on time. curbing the tongue. Look, you do good with kids, mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Except when I slip up, I'll go, fuck. <laughs> I'll be like, damn, kid. Oh, shit. Fuck. <laughs> it just gets worse oh, and worse. It's all that time on the whaling ship you spent. I know, you know? I know. These yeah. sailors, you know. Yeah. So Tukulitu, Epirvik, and Tarlikituk toured the East Coast with Hall as he gave lectures and raised money, but it took a real toll on all three of them. Buddington told Hall he wanted to bring them back up north on his next trip out of concern for their health, but Hall fought with him about it. He said it was unnecessary. And then sadly, in the spring of 1863, Tarlikituk, who was still an infant, died of pneumonia in New York. And he was buried in Groton, Connecticut, not far from the Buddingtons' home where they had been staying. And Tukulitu was understandably inconsolable. Yeah. And it suggested she was even suicidal. But eventually she regained her health. And the next year, in 1864, they went with Hall on his next exhibition to King William Island. And they toured Rose Welcome Sound, trying to find Inuit guides who were more familiar with the islands in this area. But they weren't nearly as willing to help him travel as Apirvik and Tukulitu were. But the two of them helped him communicate, and he started to learn more about the Franklin Expedition crew who had come through there nearly 20 years earlier at this point. But it was difficult to return to the ice. Tukulitu was missing the warm years they'd spent with the Buddingtons in Connecticut. In July of 1864, Tukulitu wrote a letter to them saying, quote, Mrs. Buddington, how are you? I've been sick three or four days. I like to come see my pretty mother during this time. Homesick. Joe lame, back and leg. Sometime he can't rest in night. I'm sorry for him. I think of him every day. Sometime better, sometime very hard time. I love that. I love that. Um, I, I think that's one of the clearest examples of how they felt about each other, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they they were really close. I think it's interesting that, you know, I read that they don't, necessarily marry by choice or marry out of love. They said it did happen sometimes, but because there were so few people, it wasn't like you had a lot of options. (laughs) But I think that those bonds must have formed just out of adaptation, you know, like you had to really care about everyone Mm -hmm. because you were all like a single thing living up there, you know, like you're almost these villages, almost a single organism Mm -hmm. in terms of how close and connected everyone was. And if one person doesn't do well or if you didn't like somebody, that could ruin it for everyone. That's true. Um, but I, I so and then seeing them together on these trips, it's I, I thought it was nice to read this and hear her say, like, I think of him every day. I'm really sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's kind of sweet. Yeah. Well, you you do see that with arranged marriages yeah. all the time. Oh, yeah, that, sure, that sure. Love does form and grow yeah. over the years. Yeah. And especially in their in their case. You know, they're being brought together and kept together by some extreme circumstances, not only in their regular life, but also with all these expeditions and like going out there being the only two Inuit people around. I'm sure that was they became a great comfort to each other. Then they lost a child together, which can either bind you or separate you. Right. But I think in this case, they they probably were really clinging to each other. Yeah. A lot of comfort. Yeah. In a strange place. A few years later into this journey to King William Island, Epirvik and Tukulitu had another baby who also died in infancy after a long, difficult sledding trip. 
Man. A little bit of tragedy, a lot of tragedy yeah, for them and the family. Time. Yeah. In the family way. Definitely, definitely. And it's just those I, I you know, I couldn't speak to how common that was or anything. Mm-hmm. But I imagine those those conditions, it's gotta be hard to keep a baby keep alive. Keep a baby alive. I, I mean, mean insane. Yeah. Because you do, especially on these expeditions where they're like well, we might just end up having to sit here in the snow for six months. Right. Or we might have to take this sledding trip a thousand miles, you know, into right. the ice. And you don't know what's there. You don't I know mean, what's there, yeah. You can assume, but you don't know. Right. You're literally going to find out. It's sort of like how um, I, it was going around the internet, got viral for a minute a couple years ago about how women in Iceland will like, leave their babies bundled up in a oh, stroller, yeah. but they'll leave them outside like yeah. a coffee shop or something while right. they go in and have a drink. Yep. And people are like, what? This is insane. You yeah. know, but of course in, in Iceland or where I'm guess I'm, I think I'm guessing Iceland, but they were kind of like, well, you have to get them used to the cold. I mean, they, they this is where <laughs> they live. You know, <laughs> Like they need to be feeling warm in Groton, Connecticut. Right. Yeah. So this whole expedition took a whole five years and in 1868, which is about four years into it, mm-hmm. they had a huge argument which broke out between much of the crew and Charles Hall. And he ended up shooting and killing a man named Patrick Coleman. Mm. Now, because Hall claimed that they were trying to mutiny, he never faced charges for it. I can't imagine that that made things less awkward for the trip home. No. But um, <laughs> somehow they, they pressed on. And when they finally reached King William Island... Hall finally found some of the crew from Franklin's expedition. So all his work had paid off. He was like, oh, you're here. (laughs) Except one little problem. They were skeletons. Oh. So he couldn't exactly ask them what happened. Nope. And with no survivors discovered and very little evidence as to what did happen to them, their expedition was at an end. They were not going to find the Franklin. It was time to go home. And so they packed up and set sail back for the States. On their way back, the ship stopped at an Inuit settlement called Igloolik, which means there is a house here, which I think is a great name Love for it. a town. <laughs> there is a house here. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the town I grew up in in upstate New York. It's like, there, there is a house here. We swear. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't blink or you'll miss it. <laughs> and in Igloolik, they met with another Inuit couple named Tilikum and Pukinning who had a two-year-old daughter named Isagaituk. And it's not clear why the couple was willing to do this, but at Hall's suggestion, Tukalitu and Apirvik adopted their little girl. Hmm. Um, apparently, initially, the mother was super into it and the father was resistant, but Hall gave them a sled in exchange, which was a pretty, it must have been a nice sled. I pretty guess good deal. Because so. <laughs> they were both like, all right, no, this sounds like a good idea. And weird. yeah, it's strange. Um, I think he was just like, these these guys need a kid. They've been through a lot through and they that. need a kid. And I think maybe um, Speculation Station, maybe this couple didn't want or was having a hard time with a kid or something. Right. For whatever reason, they were willing to do it. And so they adopted this girl and they called her Panic, which is simply Inuktitut for daughter. Now, Hall, of course, had to do his thing and give her an American name, which was Sylvia Grinnell Ibirbing, named after his benefactor, Henry Grinnell. Uh-huh. So he's like, well, she gets an American name, too. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to throw Henry's name in there because he keeps giving me money. <laughs> he pays the bills. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
They returned to Groton, Connecticut in 1869, and this all-American family, Hannah, Joe, and Sylvia, <laughs> bought a two-story house for $300. Oh. Which uh, is about, let me see, $6,100 today. Wow. And just for reference, the median home price in Groton right now is $315,000. So what pretty a, good deal in the long deal. run. <laughs> and in Groton, Joe worked as a carpenter and Hannah as a seamstress. And they hoped to settle down and live a nice, warm Connecticut life together. But two years later, in 1871, adventure called once again. After the Civil War ended, the American government got very interested in the global race to the North Pole. And with Henry Grinnell's support, Charles Francis Hall caught the attention of President Grant, who named him a man with survival skills but no academic background in traveling and no experience leading men or commanding a ship, the commander of the ship. Oh, <laughs> Great idea? <laughs> and when we come back, we'll join them on their most dangerous, harrowing, ridiculous voyage yet. An absolutely catastrophic journey full of ice, snow, and murder. So bundle up and we'll be right back. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink that's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year, Las Culturistas, with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with... Dua Lipa! The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening. Welcome back to the show. So everyone's trying to be the first to the North Pole. It's the space race of the day, mm-hmm. right? And America thought this guy who did have a ton of experience sailing in the Arctic and certainly never shut up about it <laughs> should be the one to do it, right? It was right. all over the Cincinnati occasional, occasional every once in a while. Occasionally, <laughs> it was talked about. So the ship and the expedition were both named the Polaris. And of course, because Hall had no sailing experience and he knew it, he knew he was going to have to be super selective in choosing his officers and his crew. He mostly hired whalers who were experienced with sailing Arctic waters. These were salty, gruff sailors who had a different kind of discipline than the British vessels who used mostly military crews for these kind of voyages. Mm. So he's like, you know, he's probably smart in terms of who he's picking for being able to navigate these waters. Right. But also, these were not guys who were easy to control. Um, They were not trained, like disciplined sailor types. They were like, I do what I want because that's how we survive. Like Teamsters, you know, like they were like, (laughs) this this is how it's done, boss. (laughs) But for his sailing master, of course, he knew he had to get Sidney Buddington, Mm -hmm. who had been his captain on his on the George Henry back in his earlier voyages. Even though they had fought a whole lot in the past and didn't seem to actually like each other very much. He knew that like Sidney's my boy. That guy's going to be able to do a good job. This guy knows what it's like to sail up there. So he picked him. And Buddington, however, was like, oh, God, no, please, please, no, don't make me go with <laughs> I don't want to go with Don't make me go with this guy again. But when another one of his contracts fell through, he had to say yes. Hmm. I'll do it. In the time that Buddington wasn't going after he turned him down, Charles Hall asked another guy named George Emery Tyson to do it, who also said no. Oh. But then... Sydney came back and said yes, and then Tyson came back and said yes. Oops. So <laughs> Hall's made, asked a few too many questions. He's made a few too many offers. Mm-hmm. And so to make up for this, he just makes up his position for Tyson, and he calls him the assistant navigator. Hmm. And basically what this meant was that this ship had three people who thought they were in charge. Terrible, <laughs> terrible idea. So a Pier Vic and Tukulitu couldn't turn down Hall for this trip. But they brought their adopted daughter, Panic, along with them. And they left in June 1871 and immediately had problems. Uh, Before they even left the Brooklyn Navy Yard, the cook, a fireman, and an assistant engineer deserted the ship. (laughs) They were like, wait, where are we going? (laughs) Uh, Never mind. (laughs) I distinctly heard you say Nassau in the Caribbean. (laughs) I thought 
thought we were going to the Caribbean. And the ship steward was immediately discovered to be a drunk and was left behind. Oh, my God. The doctor, a German named Emil Bessels, thought Hall shouldn't be in charge at all. Mm. And Tyson, the assistant navigator, wrote in his diary that a lot of the crew didn't like Charles Hall. And, quote, Already, some have made up their minds how far they will go and when they will get home again. Oof. So they were like, I mean, I'm along for as long as I feel like being <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> you don't tell me what to do. <laughs> so it was just a messy bunch all around. Like nobody right. on this. I bet Chukalitu and Apirvik were like, do y'all not know about the community thing? Like, <laughs> right, y'all yeah. not familiar with how we all have to live together? Uh-huh. uh-huh. And about the only people on Hall's side were Tukulitu and Apirvik. Mm-hmm. Everybody else kind of just saw him as this micromanaging jerk. Right. But Tukulitu and Apirvik were old friends of his. Right. And, of course, they just saw the good in everyone. Right. Like, like you said, they, they mm-hmm. were more about like, well, yeah, but we all have to get along. Right. The community here. Why would I focus on your worst qualities when I'm supposed to live next to you for the rest yeah. of my life? I yeah. mean, let me find what's good about you and focus on that. Yep. I guess that makes sense. So nevertheless, they pressed on, and in early September, they crossed the Robeson Canal and set a new record, 82 degrees, 11 minutes north. Now, no white man had ever been closer to the North Pole at this point. So they're really feeling good about themselves. Mm -hmm. They really made it far. At this point, the three commanders started to argue about what to do next. Hall and Tyson agreed that they should sail further north to minimize the amount of time they would have to spend sledding. But Buddington thought that was too risky for the ship. They should anchor here and start sledding north from here. In the end, Hall and Tyson won out. But as they sailed north and winter got worse, they were forced to anchor the ship, which was exactly what Buddington was trying Mm -hmm. to avoid. Mm -hmm. They ended up in a place called Thank God Harbor. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever named it was like, thank God there's a harbor here. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) At this point, Hall decided that he was going to go ahead on foot, kind of scout out the area ahead, see if they could sled up to the North Pole from here. And he would have taken Tyson with him. They were getting along better than anyone in Buddington at this point. But he told Tyson, quote, I cannot trust Buddington alone with the ship. Hmm. So he asked him to stay behind and keep an eye on him. Literally, maybe Buddington will turn and leave while we're gone, or maybe he'll just, you know, screw everything up. Hmm. Because Buddington may have been an alcoholic, There's some evidence in the crew's testimony afterwards that he was stealing liquor from the ship's stores, including alcohol from the science lab that they were using to preserve specimens. So that that's the sign of of a serious alcoholic when you're you're drinking drinking, rubbing alcohol. Rubbing alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. That's really bad. Yeah. Although it makes me think this ship steward must have been a really bad drunk if <laughs> right. they realized it before they even left and they had this guy in charge. Uh-huh. Maybe Buddington was like, listen, it takes one to know one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Get that right. guy out of here. He's an elbow crooker. <laughs> so Hall took two sleds, his first mate, Chester, Ipirvik, and another Inuit guide named Hendrik, and they left on October 10th for the sledding expedition to see if they could make it to the North Pole. Uh And Tukulitu stayed behind to take care of their child panic. Hall sent Hendrik back on day two with a bunch of instructions for the rest of the guys. (laughs) For example, he told the doctor, who was a scientist with three degrees, don't forget to wind the clock. (laughs) And he left Buddington who is a sailing master with over two decades of experience, a lengthy to-do list while he was away. (laughs) And this was the kind of micromanaging that made everybody hate him. Seriously. if you're a manager, remember Charles Hall and don't be like that. Oh, my God. I I love that he, like, 
that they left. And two days later, he was like, you oh, know shit. what? You know what? I got a, I got something to say to these guys. He's been thinking about it this whole time. I should have left them something to do. They're, what are they going to get up to while I'm gone? Not work, that's for sure. Not work. So they were gone for two full weeks. And when they came back, they had a nice cup of coffee. Mm. And Apirvik took his to his room to drink. But at 10 p.m., Tukulitu came to get Apirvik and told him that Hall was very sick and vomiting. And he wouldn't let anyone see him except Tukulitu. He was convinced someone on the ship had poisoned him. And Tukulitu told him, you know, why don't you go see the German doctor who's sitting right here, Emil Bessels. But Hall was like, that's probably the guy who tried to kill me. So no, I'd like to not see him. (laughs) And for a few days, he was terribly sick. Just vomiting and feeling weak and tired and aching and his left side all hurt. It was crazy. But he started to improve a couple days later. He was getting better. He was back on his feet. And on November 4th, he was able to go above board. And finally, he relented. The One of the other officers convinced him, like, you've got to go see Bessels. He's our doctor. You're sick. Like, can we just forget about all this? And, and you go talk to the doctor. And he says, all right, I'll do it. And then suddenly, after seeing Bessels, he started to get sick again. Mm. A few grueling days later, Charles Hall vomited, collapsed, and died. (sighs) Now, Bessels' diagnosis was apoplexy, which is a dated term they don't use anymore that meant like a ruptured organ or a stroke. They took him ashore and they had a formal burial. But the mission wasn't over. They needed to press on. But now, Buddington was in charge, okay? Mm -hmm. So, of course, things got way worse. No! Oh, no! (laughs) Morale and discipline totally diminished. Buddington was drunk all the time, although Tyson started to drink a lot more, too. And one of the crewmates even stole and made a copy of Buddington's key so that they could all steal liquor from the stores. (laughs) Oh, my God. Do you so, think at any point anyone opened the stores and were like, there's no fucking liquor in here? <laughs> they must what have brought happened? so much to have Insane. several drunks and the whole crew stealing. There must have been a lot of booze when they left. Seriously. I mean, that's, you know, when you're picking out your provisions. That's the number we, one thing. At some point, we're going to have to sit in the snow for six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are we going to do? More rum, please. <laughs> So there was no set bedtime. Everyone was just doing as they pleased. Mm. It was total chaos. And then Buddington decided to start handing out firearms to everyone. Nobody knows why. It was just like, well, we're all getting drunk, so have a gun. You get a gun. You get a gun. (laughs) Let's add freaking weapons to this chaos. (laughs) Just total nonsense going on in this ship. In January, Tyson wrote in his diary, quote, Last month, such an astonishing proposition was made to me that I have never ceased thinking of it since. Enough to make Captain Hall stir in his ice-cold grave. Ooh. Yeesh. He wrote that he and the first mate agreed that the proposition was monstrous and unthinkable, and he never said specifically what they were talking about, but Canadian writer Farley Mowat suggested that the proposition they're talking about was that they should fake the rest of their journey to the North Pole and oh, just God. pretend they had made it. That's so, I mean, like, yeah, for, for someone whose job this is, you can right. imagine that is like the craziest thing anyone has ever said to you. Yeah. You want us to just go back and lie about it mm-hmm. and have the whole world like hail us as heroes for something we never did. Yeah. 
that sounds like a nightmare. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night, you know? Right. Well, and at this time, you know, there were lots of guys that had this like sense of honor. Right. Where, where it was like, oh, you know, I <laughs> I could colonize and kill an entire coast's <laughs> worth of people. But right. if I cheat at cards, I'm a real asshole. Like, you know what <laughs> I, I mean? Would never. <laughs> I would never I do would something never do so terrible. Thing. So I agree. I'm sure I'm sure he really did think like to go back and as you say, I didn't think about that to be hailed as heroes for something you never did. Oh, would yeah. Certainly be really uncomfortable. No, that would weigh on you. I don't you care were, who you, you are. If you were a normal person. Right. <laughs> well, they chilled out until June until some of the men sat out in a smaller boat to try and get to the pole. But the boat was crushed by ice and they were forced to walk back to the ship. Yes. Another mini team set out, but within days, Buddington got cold feet and sent a Pirvik to bring them back. Man. And so they had to abandon their boats and walk back to the Polaris once again, and now they were short four lifeboats. God. So the Polaris mission was over. Yeah. They were like, we're done with this this mess. This is a hot mess. We are not going to get to the North Pole. This is not even a hot mess. It's a cold mess. (laughs) I guess at this point, they were just like, we're done. Well, Buddington already was like, I'm I'm done with this. I'm going home. I've had enough. We're out of booze. I'm getting out of here. Tyson was like, he hasn't got the bottom for this voyage. <laughs> Tyson was pretty bummed out about this. He really, I think, wanted to go on and finish. He wrote, quote, what opportunities have been lost? Mm. And there's a, there's longer quotes about how he's just like, this sucks. Somebody's going to get to the North Pole at some point, And I'm going to be mad that people got in my way and it couldn't have been me. Well, and they were already all the way up there and had already right. gone through all this stuff. I'm sure right. he's like a little bit of sunk cost fallacy where he's like, no, I have to make it. I'm so seriously, close. Seriously, seriously. So they turned around. They started to head south back to the States. But in October, Buddington ran the ship into an icy sandbar and they started taking on water. You so think he was drunk commanding? Uh, quite possible. I mean, almost definitely. <laughs> drunk sailing. He starts ordering cargo to be thrown overboard so that they wouldn't, you know, sink, so they could lighten the ship, balance things out, and buoy the ship. But because they sucked so bad at (laughs) discipline and order, and they just, there was no clear chain of command, everything was just chaos, and they're just throwing stuff overboard with no one telling them where or how to throw it. Mm -hmm. So they ended up losing a ton of cargo. Like everything they jettisoned, basically, it was never seen again. Meanwhile, Ipirvik. Tukalitu, Panic, Hendrick, Tyson, and 15 other crew members were all out on the surrounding ice at night. They had told everyone, like, it's not safe on the ship, so let's all just go hang out on the ice until we know things are good, and then we'll bring you back on board. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, the ground started to break. The ice cracked and split, and soon, the 19 people on that ice flow were floating away from the Polaris. <gasps> terrifying. I cannot imagine a more scary thing than oh to just God. be on a freaking piece of ice yes. floating through a frozen sea. Away like from your ship. Oh my God. Terrifying. Although, like a I don't know. Nightmare. I wonder if Tyson Speculation Station, maybe maybe if I'm Tyson, I'm like, you know what? That's this true. is better. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are Tukuli too here back here? Okay. Oh, we're, we're good. This is better. <laughs> <laughs> right? Seriously. I just keep thinking of uh, Yukon Cornelius and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. When they're running from the abominable snowman, oh, and they like yeah. he chops the ice up, and yep. they float away on that. Yes, not not as cute. Just not um, as cute. But, uh... <laughs> Way less claymation. <laughs> but they drifted over eighteen hundred miles for six months. Oh my god! 
And it is universally agreed that if Ipirvik and Tukalitu, as well as Hendrik, hadn't been with them, everyone would have died. I definitely would have thought that. <laughs> yeah, because the sailors were, again, just terribly undisciplined. They went through their food rations like crazy. They even had a night where they just went hog wild and started feasting, just stuffing <gasps> their faces with their rations because they just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> they were like, what I really want is to become a cannibal, so let's get rid of all this food. <laughs> yeah, can't wait to eat a person. <laughs> They're like, it's day three, and they're like, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> and not only that, but they actually had some lifeboats with them, but they were confused about where they were. Uh, mm -hmm. They thought they were on one side of Greenland, but they were actually on the other side. So they kept expecting to see land come up, but they didn't. I don't know if they were just looking in the wrong direction or what, but they decided that the lifeboats were useless to them, and they broke them up for firewood. No, what? Yeah. Oh, my God, they're yeah. so dumb. So they are not handling this well. Nobody's listening to Tyson. He, mm -hmm. like, tries to take command, and everyone just does whatever they want, so he basically wow. gives up. Meanwhile, Ipirvik and Hendrik start hunting seal. And they're on the middle of this chunk of ice in the Arctic Ocean with like nothing around them. They start bringing in seal for everyone to eat. And Tukalitu builds igloos. So they have somewhere to get away from the wind and the cold and save their body heat. Wow. So these guys just start working for these lazy asses <laughs> and start collecting up and start just making sure everyone's going to survive. Right. All in all, I mean, it sounds like a pretty nice cruise, you know? Oh, <laughs> I, I guess it's on par with that carnival cruise where everybody oh, got Oh, God, where the shit. toilets exploded. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Which would you rather be out in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> freezing for six, for six months, eating nothing but seal in an igloo, mm -hmm. or uh, six weeks on the carnival cruise covered in shit? <sighs> That's a game show right there. <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> a real Sophie's choice. Oof. They were picked up in April of 1873 on the coast of Newfoundland by a whaling ship, and their Inuit guides were hailed as heroes, which obviously they were sure. because everyone would be dead without them. Uh -huh. Meanwhile, Buddington had gotten the Polaris moving again, but they'd burned too much coal without any discipline during the voyage, and soon he had to run the ship aground. And since they'd lost so much of their shit when he had them throw it overboard, they really didn't have the supplies they needed to survive another winter. So they pulled lumber from the ship and built shelters. And there were 14 of them huddled together with few survivor skills among them, very little food, near death, when suddenly... Lo and behold, the Eta Inuit showed up and helped them survive through the winter. Oh, Man, Inuits are the real heroes of this whole story if throughout. If you're stranded in throughout. the Arctic, you better hope some Inuit show up okay. to help you out because <laughs> you will that is die. The only them. way these people lived. <laughs> and in June of '73, they built ships from salvaged wood and sailed south, and were eventually rescued by a whaling ship in July. So. The 19 people from the ice flow get back to the States. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. Navy is like, hey, uh, you, what the hell happened out there? <laughs> this looks like what a shitty mess. What in the frozen hell happened? <laughs> You're like, where, I'm sorry, where's your captain? Uh -huh. I'm sorry, where's your ship, uh -huh. by the way? You didn't get to the North Pole, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. uh, where's the, the rest of just your got people, lot, period? Yeah. They they brought back more questions than answers. answers. Or people. <laughs> right, or people. They <laughs> or brought ships. back more questions than people. 
boats, anything. <laughs> so the U.S. Navy opened a formal inquiry, obviously. This was a lot of money went into this. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, Buddington and his people hadn't even been rescued yet. No one knew what happened to the Polaris at this point. Oh. Uh, they asked Tukalitu, and she had actually said, oh, they're, they're good. They, they parked somewhere safe if they wait till... Uh, the summer, then they'll be able to sail out no problem, which, of mm. course, Buddington was not able to do, but no. she thought it should be no problem for them. So they're kind of waiting for them <laughs> to had, show back up. She had a lot of faith. In she was so, such an optimist. She angel. really is. So they bring Tyson in to give his sort of testimony about what happened. Mm-hmm. And he says, basically, uh, yeah, um, Buddington sucks. <laughs> and uh, we think the doctor might have poisoned Charles Hall. Like, that's probably something that happened, apparently. So they decide they're going to, they, they want to talk to everybody. Sure. And they bring in Ipirvik and Tukalitu as well, who, again, were considered heroes of this trip. Right. And they get their testimony. Ipirvik laid it out. He said, quote, didn't like Buddington, always talking behind back. Hall told me when sick. Somebody give him something bad. He was sick two weeks. Buddington did not take care of him. I think it not right. Made me feel bad. He say something bad in coffee I drink last night, making me sick and stomach bad. Mm. And then he said in the few days where Hall felt better, that Hall was looking through the doctor's medicinal books, and he pointed to something and told Apirvik, that, that thing is making me sick. And Apirvik didn't know what it was specifically, but he said in his deposition, Quote, something about poison, I think. And Tukulitu gave testimony to their experience on the ice floe. She said she was taking her stuff off the ship after the big leak, and a fireman had told her the ship was going to be okay. But Buddington told her to ignore that and just take her stuff and her daughter and go out on the ice where it's safe. And then the ice broke up. Oh, God. Never listen Buddington. to Buddington. Okay. He was, like, mm. he was right that one time. That's true. So it's, I mean, they were, none of them were... None of them were ever right very often. <laughs> That's the problem. And they asked Tukulitu who was in command uh, on the ice floe, and she said, nobody. <laughs> Which definitely sounds accurate. Yeah. And they asked, you know, what about Tyson? Because he's this assistant navigator dude uh-huh. or whatever. And she said, quote, well, he could not control them. He tried to do everything he could. He's a good man. We have known him a good many years. He tried to do everything for the best. I sorry, and Joe very sorry too. Sometime little provisions left. And she tells a story about how they thought they were about to starve, but a bear showed up across the ice, killed a seal, and while the sailors laid down and tried to stay hidden, a Pirvik chased the bear off and took the seal meat for everyone else. Oh my god. He chased a bear. And we we must assume that this was a polar bear, bear. (laughs) (laughs) which if you recall from our last couple episodes, if it's white, (laughs) good night. Good night. (laughs) You're not. So everybody is. I'm sure he told everyone else, "Okay, you all lay down. Stay quiet. Mm -hmm. I'll take care of this bear. And just went. I don't know. Whatever he did. Be like, no bear. You can't have your food. We're taking it. Like, that's not a conversation you have with a polar bear. (laughs) No. Oh my god! And also, like, she's apologizing. Oh my god! For what? She's well, because there wasn't more food, you know, or whatever. Oh, right. Like, I'm so sorry there wasn't always I a lot so of food. Sorry that we only caught she's seals so... with zero bait. And fucking chased <laughs> bears off this ice floe for you. 
She's so sweet. I can't stand it. I love it. She's the best. And through all this testimony and in interviews later, it's the same thing. Authors and historians keep pointing out that Ipirvik and Tukalitu just refuse to have a bad attitude about anything. Mm. They like kind of grumbled about Buddington, but they didn't want to ever say anything outright bad about anybody. Even the lazy sailors on the ice floe, who they basically had to hand feed the whole time they were out there. Like, let me chew up this seal and spit it in your mouth for you. Spit it in your mouth, baby. Even them, Ipirvek was like, oh, they're good guys. Offered me a cigar once. The bar is low, is all I have to say. Like, what? (laughs) They offered me a cigar once. I kept them alive for six months. And they offered me a cigar one time. I mean, like we said, Tukalitu apologized <laughs> for there not being enough food. I think it speaks to how they were so loyal to Hall as well, because mm. this guy, I mean, it really seems like he exploited them in the States, right. taking them on this lecture tour. I don't think he had bad wishes for them or they didn't care about them necessarily. But yeah, he was definitely, malicious, yeah, but... but he was definitely using them. Mm-hmm. And they were always just like, oh, he's a good friend of ours. He's a good guy. He means well. He's trying his best. Wow. You know, they they just, they're super optimistic, which like we said, you must have to be. You got to bring your own sunshine to the damn damn Arctic, okay? You do not have time for a bad attitude in the Mm -mm. Arctic. That's going to get everybody in trouble. I mean, we could all learn a little bit from Tukuli too and Pirvik and bring a little bit of that energy into our everyday lives. In all honesty, I'm saying like sometimes... It's not like if you have comforts and you have stability and security that you can't be upset, mm-hmm. that that things can't bother you, that you can't be angry or anything like that. But I do try to remind myself that I'm not living on a sheet of ice, <laughs> you know, that your outlook, your attitude uh, towards your community, towards other people around you who are just trying to survive with you matters a lot and i think we have a lot of cynicism and negativity that is very infectious Mm. right and if you imagine yourself in a smaller community like that 30 40 people living in a village in the middle of the harshest conditions on earth right and you learn that like that that negativity really is toxic like it spreads and it hurts and it doesn't do anything to help us Mm -hmm. so if you're not if your attitude isn't also contributing to our survival, then get, check it. Get you know, rid of it. Yeah. Lose it. It's not that easy. I, I also believe that, you know, emotions are real and right. we have to, you know, go by them sometimes. But it's just a, just something to keep in mind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is. There is such a thing as toxic positivity. And sure. Ta- you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I do agree with you that a, a sousson of Tukulitu <laughs> and <laughs> Pirvik, it just could not could not go wrong in all of our views. Well, in the end, there was not enough evidence for any charges to be filed in Hall's death. Mm. Um, The final report said, quote, we are of the opinion that Captain Hall died from natural causes and that the treatment of the case by Dr. Bessels was the best practice under the circumstances. Okay. But in 1968, Charles Francis Hall's biographer, Chauncey Chester Loomis Jr., took an expedition of his own to exhume Hall's body. And he was remarkably well-preserved for being dead 200 years because of all the ice you yeah, see. Yeah, right. <laughs> Packed him in ice. <laughs> kind of, I mean, that's sort of what it does. They, I'm amazed they didn't, like, thaw him out and he's like Encino Man. 
like, whoa, the world has changed, dudes. Uh, that would be dope. I wish. <laughs> I love Encino Let's Man. Let's make that movie. For real. And testing of his exhumed body showed that he died from arsenic poisoning. Oh, shit. Although it must be said that a lot of medicines contained arsenic back then. Mm. Um, so it's possible that he even accidentally poisoned himself. Ah. So we're still not sure if it's like a malicious poisoning or not. Right, but it, right. Certainly he was poisoned. Just who did it? Why? Yeah. It's up in the air. Although I think I'm still personally prosecuting <laughs> Dr. Emil Bessels right. in my head. Because <laughs> in another twist, it turns out Bessels and Hall were both into the same girl back in New York City. Oh. Her name was Vinnie Ream, and she was a famous sculptor. Yeah. And Bessels was more into her than Charles Francis Hall was, but she was more into Hall uh, than Bessels. Oh, oh, that's a... So there's a whole love triangle going on That is on a prime here. recipe for a poisoning. Oh, yeah. Right Bessels there. was like, I see a great opportunity to clear the field <laughs> for myself. If there was any more information than just that, this would be a <laughs> oh, whole really? episode for us. <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> That's a little bonus romance because there's not any more. But right, right. <laughs> that was a good one. Um, so, yeah, that's just another possible motive for the sociopath <laughs> Dr. Emil Bessel. <laughs> right. Just kidding. It remains unproven. Bessels was never charged. Right. We don't know. Speculation well, station is yes. sociopath. <laughs> he wasn't charged there, but here on Ridiculous Romance, in the safety of Speculation Station, we're going to say, he did it. He definitely did it. He murdered Charles Hall. He was born for love. <laughs> So Epirvik, Tukalitu, and Panic returned to Connecticut. Mm -hmm. But Panic's health had been poor ever since the six months they spent on the ice floe, understandably. No, but I mean, um, So she did go to school, but in early 1875, she caught pneumonia. And in March of that year, she died at just nine years old. No. I know. Tukalitu fell into declining health after that. And in December of 1876, she died at 38 years old. Oh, man. I know. It's just so tough for her trying to raise a family. She, they, they never had much luck with that. Um, but she cared about those kids so much. Mm -hmm. um, they were all buried together. Tukalitu was buried right there in Groton beside her children, Panic and Tarlikitok. And Apirvik was heartbroken after Tukalitu's mm -hmm. death, of course. And he vowed to return to the north. In 1880, he joined Frederick Schwatka's expedition in search of records of the Franklin expedition. So once again, wow. going back to his roots, I this mean, Franklin this is expedition a, really defined his life, like, you know? <laughs> and people were so interested oh, for man. like decades and decades. I feel like it was like the Titanic of their day. Right. Or maybe like the Donner Party type yeah. thing where they just disappeared and you're like, what happened? Right. Like we right. still are asking that all the yeah, time. Yeah, for so. sure. Uh, that voyage didn't wasn't very successful. They didn't end up turning up very much. And when they decided it was over, Epirvik decided that he was going to stay in the north. And there he remarried. And it's unknown exactly when, but it appears that he died just a few years later after that. And Epirvik was described by American journalist Januarius McGann as, quote, one of the most interesting and pleasant characters he has ever met. Yeah. Abir Bing Bay in Canada and Joe Island in Greenland are both named after him. And the Tukulitu Inlet in Nunavut and Hannah Island in Greenland are both named for her. 
1981, Canada named Tukulitu and Apirvik persons of national historic significance for their contributions to exploration, cultural insight, and saving the lives of those on the ice floe. You're damn right, Canada. You're damn right. Historical significance indeed. I mean, for real. These these two were awesome. I, I mean, I'm love so them. sad about them never getting to grow a I family because it's clear they really wanted one. Yeah. But um yeah. but they really did some I mean, you could say she was sort of mother to all of these nasty sailors. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you could, but I don't think she'd and she's say like, that. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> They're very nice boys. They're nice. They're boys, not mine. They ain't mine. <laughs> I don't know them. <laughs> yeah, they really are amazing. I do. I will say they they lived full lives, yes. short lives, short but full. I think they did and saw more mm-hmm. in their you know forty ish years here than most of us will in a in a in 80 or 100 you know yeah that's very um, true which is you know a small comfort but still <laughs> amazing i mm-hmm. i love that they had these lives that they saw so much that they had such a tie to their home mm-hmm. and it mattered to them but they also got to live in completely different places yeah and have all these like cultural mashup of experiences mm-hmm. uh which i think is so cool that they were able to kind of retain themselves but also adapt and make all these friends with mm-hmm. all these Americans and stuff like what a life and clearly they were both just so awesome and charming like yes. they're, like she was full of fun and laughter oh and he's like pleasant and interesting and like observant and yeah. shit. so they probably were just so much fun to be around For and real so when they're like in a Inuit village of 30 people to Groton, Connecticut, to uh-huh. freaking London, where there's probably more people they've ever seen in their lives. Uh-huh. And then they go around all around, you know, the East Coast on some lecture tour and see all these people that, you know, it's just as much of a community to them yeah. as their own tribe yeah. back home, which I think is a really lovely way to look at the world. Yeah, definitely. So I definitely. I feel like I learned a lot from Tukulitu and, and uh, Apirvik. I think so, too. About how to view things and people. Uh, absolutely. Like, I think like we were saying, like, it's the kind of comparative nature of your surroundings. Mm. Like, what you've seen before and what you're seeing now are so important. Like, you know, they, they could be having a rough day in Groton, Connecticut. Yeah. And be like, well... What was a rough day in on Baffin Island? <laughs> this is pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is uh, in comparison to that. Pretty um, nice. But just such a just such a I don't know, just two very bright lights, two very yeah. up, uplifting people. Yeah. I love them. Plus it's such a cool era of history when everyone was so interested in the polar ice like expeditions and all this stuff. Just the era of exploration in general is so fascinating. I love it yeah. and i so wish it wasn't so clouded with colonialism know. you know yeah. and imperialism because that's obviously the downside of it all mm-hmm. but speaking from you know the 21st century comforts i'm very used to it mm-hmm. seems so weird to me an alien an idea to be like let me go put myself in the most extreme conditions on the <laughs> yeah. planet that i can find yeah because i just want to know what's there mm-hmm. and see if i can do it or whatever like i i can't imagine being like Especially back then when they had very few ways to heat themselves right. <laughs> or wrap themselves right. up or anything <laughs> like that. Like I, to, to choose negative degrees yeah. is so crazy to me. But yeah. of course, I'm from Georgia where we rarely go under 30. Well, so <laughs> Right, right. But yeah, I do. I wonder about the people who settled there, mm-hmm. who who moved and moved across. You know, I read somewhere that the Inuit 
may have come originally from Mongolian travelers mm-hmm. um, up across the Bering Strait into Canada. I could be wrong about that, but that's something I read. But in either case, getting to Baffin Island at some point, mm-hmm. somebody got to Baffin Island and said, yeah, this is good. I'll stop here <laughs> and stayed. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> Probably doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> Do you think someone next to him was like, you sure? <laughs> this is good. I feel like the further that way we walk, yeah. the warmer it gets. Maybe we should keep going. Is it though? Nah. It's like Thor face. Is it though? <laughs> We're good. Look, we got fish. We got ice. What else is there? <laughs> what else? What else? I, it's night sometimes. It's day sometimes. <laughs> I may have uh, mentioned this on the show before, but I remember driving from Atlanta to L.A., Mm-hmm. which was an amazing road trip. And then you and I got to take a, an almost similar one out to Utah. Yeah. But when I drove from Atlanta to L.A. and I was in the desert, you know, crossing Texas and New Mexico and Arizona for hours and hours and hours and hours, like a full day of driving out there, driving my car at 70, 80 miles an hour. And I just wondered, there were explorers here, even pre-colonial, there were people who walked out to the desert saw nothing but desert in front of them for as far as they could see and said, yeah, let's keep going. <laughs> no, I, I'm telling you, on the other side of this, there's going to be palm trees and water. It's going to be great. Yeah. And and then they probably spent days and days walking and then said, let's keep going. Let's keep at it. And that, to me, is a level of human ambition that I that I I guess we, I don't know if we have anymore. <laughs> um, I certainly don't. <laughs> I think we have it, but it's so much more specialized. Well, because the what's what's left to explore, but space, ocean, and yeah, space, ocean and space, you need yep. kind of you know specialized equipment for that. At least right. back then, you could just walk <laughs> right, right. <laughs> until you found something new. <laughs> um, but Tony Horwitz said that in his book Voyage Long and Strange. Oh yeah, he was talking about the conquistadors coming up through Mexico uh-huh. and walking through the plains. And he's like, at some point, they were in the middle of summer in their freaking armor. Like, uh-huh. they were wearing con- full conquistador gear. And it's hot, and they're sweating. And he's like, all they can see for miles and miles and miles and miles is nothing but grass. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah. there's It's it's just like seeing desert. Yeah. But it's just grass. No trees, nothing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and they decided, let's keep walking. And he was also like blinking, like, would I do that? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think, unless I had got this book advance, I'd probably not be doing it right now. (laughs) Amazing. So anyway, I do admire that. I admire that in the past for sure. I don't, I I guess we, like I say, we still have it, but it is so much more specialized and and concentrated into certain fields. And a more complicated world, I think, that we live in too. It's like, look, I love space exploration. I'm all for it. I think we need to do more of it, Mm -hmm. but um, probably not necessarily the way we're doing it now. Like, (laughs) I feel like there's... Something that's a little more beneficial for everyone and maybe a way to disperse those resources to kind of stabilize things here. Sounds like a lot of communism, While son. We're like- <laughs> well, I was going to say, you can kind of see, though, I don't know. I mean, this is just off the top of my head, but you can kind of see as we discovered more and more of the world around us yeah. and had a ba- better picture of what was happening out there. Yeah. Um, and there was less to explore out there. 
the more we started turning inward and trying to understand our own human experience oh, yeah, sure. and our own selves. And sure. then we started thinking about psychology. And now, of course, we're in a real mental health like kind of renaissance, it feels like, yeah. where people are like, no, this is everyone should be in therapy. Like, you don't <laughs> yeah. need to experience a traumatic event to need right. therapy. Like, we, we, we should all be examining why and what and who and where these biases are coming from or unconscious thought patterns or mm -hmm. whatever. So I, I guess you could kind of, I don't know, I'm just kind of seeing like these people were looking out and seeing a lot to go find yeah. that was not, had anything to do with me, mm -hmm. myself and I, but like as, as we progressed in that way and yeah, discovered we more and more, we kind of had to make it smaller almost yeah. and turn inwards and look yeah. at this. Because all those explorers had rampant ADD and depression. And, just <laughs> right, did, and alcoholism. Did, and al <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Well, no, and then somewhere in between that is me and Dorothy Putnam who are like, mm -hmm. my therapy is to travel. I would just like a I South American vacation. I would rather explore, please. <laughs> mm, yes. Uh, that sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, um, including true. the Arctic. I would mm -hmm. totally go to Baffin Island. Oh, yeah. I would love to check it out up there. Sure. Um, I hope uh, if you are Inuit or know anyone who is, yeah. set us up. Yeah. I would love to come. Here's the thing. And I've, I've mentioned it before. This hurts me in travel. I'm a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. That includes fish. Yep. And... Um, I guess I'll just have to pack a snack is what it, I'm saying. It will be hard. It's <laughs> going to be hard to feed you sometimes. The only food up there is yeah. fish. But, you know, I'll work it out. I always do. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love to come visit yeah. northern Canada, Greenland, the Arctic. Oh we have gotten a, a couple of offers to crash with some of our listeners in their amazing places in Scotland or in Munich or a couple places. Yeah. I, I want you to know that we're taking you incredibly seriously <laughs> yes. and I am writing a whole tour down for us where we can crash on your couch. So really don't offer so. unless you mean it. Oh, man. Because <laughs> we will descend upon you. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then make you show us around. <laughs> yes. I am ready. Yeah, I am so ready. <sighs> So if you would like, please reach out and tell us what you thought about this episode, yes. what you think about Chukulitu and Apirvik or any of these dumbasses they were helping out. <laughs> um, or if you have an offer to crash on your couch somewhere cool, we can travel. <laughs> we would love to hear that, too. Absolutely. Our email is romance at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on social media. I'm at oh great, it's Eli on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Diana Might Boom. And the show is at Ridic Romance. Yeah. So please reach out. Let us know what you thought. Mm -hmm. um, and if we made any errors, Obviously. please correct us as yeah. usual. Mm -hmm. um, but hopefully not. And uh, we will see you at the next episode. Right. So, Angai and Nakarmik yeah. for listening. Nakarmik. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, Somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. 
Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.